Welcome to Leadership for Startups, where we help entrepreneurs and leaders build businesses that grow and flourish. My name is Toyo Shumbi, your host. Welcome to episode 19. Today, my guest is Joanna Abiei. Joanna has been a journalist, a broadcaster, a unique individual that has won numerous awards across a number of fields. She has been acknowledged as an influencer in the UK, especially in the area of diversity and inclusion. She's currently the founder and CEO of diversity and inclusion consultancy business, Blue Moon. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Toye. Well, it's a pleasure, I'm sure. It's a, it's, um, we're going to learn a lot uh, uh, from you. Um, so, um, I mean, you've got a... I could have continued with your sort of resume of just talking all about all the, the great things that you've done, but um, you've transitioned over the years from a journalist to where you are today. So maybe let's just start there, a snapshot of how you even got involved in journalism in the first place. Yeah, so growing up, it was um, the thing that I was interested in, really. It, um, I used to like reading magazines. I used to like watching um, Michael Parkinson on a Friday, um, doing interviews. And so I kind of, it was the kind of obvious route to take, really, because it was where my interest lied. Um, so I started off doing some work experience when I was in uh, sixth form. And then as I kind of went on that journey of doing work experience while um, studying, I noticed one that it was definitely the career I wanted to go into, certainly at that time. But I also noticed that that there was like a real lack of diversity. And, and at that point, I was more focused on um, class. It felt really underrepresented in terms of uh, class. And me coming from a sort of low-income home, I thought it was, I guess, uh, it was it was evident it was going to be more difficult for people from low income homes to join the sector because so much of it was back then um, about sort of free work experience. Um, I persevered uh, and I kind of just had to make lots of sacrifices uh, in order to kind of stay and compete with others that um, probably had it slightly easier um, in terms of being able to when I say easier I just mean in terms of being able to do lots of free work experience um uh, and became a journalist while I was um a full-time journalist I started my own charity the first one was uh, Elevation Networks um it wasn't fa- Elevation Networks wasn't founded by me it was founded by a gentleman called Samuel Kasumu who sort of um brought together another six of us, six or seven of us, that formed the Elevation Networks Charitable Trust. They still exist. They still do brilliant work in the area of employment. And it was a, at that time, it was a youth employment uh, charity, uh, which focused on underrepresented groups. Um, And since then, I believe they've um, moved from youth employment and, and grown into kind of middle management, and they still exist. Um, and the whole aim of us then was to try and give sort of young graduates um, like ourselves the opportunity to have access to um, jobs really and level the kind of um, playing field and what we found was we were in various universities I was at Reading some of the guys were at Brunel others were at Queen Mary and some were at um, Imperial and what we were finding was that, you know, there were students from underrepresented backgrounds that were kind of due to get two ones and firsts. Mm. But through not having access to the right networks, we're going to be overlooked mm-hmm. for for opportunities purely because maybe the the right, you know, the kind of employers they'd want to work for don't go to their universities. Mm. Um, and we started with the university because back then, it was at the time when um, university was kind of the rhetoric at that time is that universities was the the, the route, if you like, for social mobility. Um, and so we knew that we'd be up against businesses that were keen to, for their early careers, take talent that were from the graduate pool. 
Um, and so then, so we, so I ran that for with the with the guides for about two years while being a full time journalist, and then I I set off set up on my own and focused purely just on the creative industries because Elevation Networks focused on multiple sectors, so everything from um, uh, professional services to sort of legal services, and my expertise laid in creative industries, and there's a big enough problem in that. So I set up my own organisation. Uh, shine media which focused on trying to um bridge that gap between diverse talent and opportunities Uh, i ran that for eight years uh, still while working as a news and showbiz entertainment news (laughs) journalist and then (laughs) and then in 2016 Uh late 2016 i met the former ceo of s3 Uh Uh, Gary Eldon uh, who um, we we were introduced by someone on my advisory board who explained the work that I was doing around underrepresentation and uh, diversity (coughs) and inclusion and um, was keen to find a way for us to work together and the way that he felt he could do that was by us launching a, a brand based on the work I've been doing at Shine Media within his group, S3, uh, which is what we did in 2017, um, uh, called Hayden. And we ran Hayden up until 2000 and end of 2018. Maybe I got the dates wrong, because I think I was at S3 for two years. So maybe it's 2016, actually, that we joined. And then in 2018, um, a private investor got in touch with me and said that they would offer a substantial amount of financial investment and resource, uh, coaching resource, to help me take the business to the next level. And at that point, it felt like the right thing to do because the aim of joining S3 really was to to try and scale the business so that there was a hidden in the multiple territories that S3 operates in. And I think that just in hindsight, on the, based on the way that that business is kind of, um, the PLC is kind of uh, structured. It was always going to be quite challenging to do that. So it felt like the right thing to do. And so um, in 2019, we rebranded Hayden to uh, Blue Moon, which is our current name. And purely because I wanted there to be a bit of a departure from S3 and Hayden had very much became become a brand of S3. Um and yeah, and so that's where we are now. Wow. Wow, that's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let me dissect it a bit. So um, obviously you started off in, in journalism. Is there any reason why you chose the creatives as um, like an industry to focus on or segment yeah. to focus on? Uh, yeah, because by this point I was working as a journalist. I just know I could just see it in my own sector so clearly. So I was working in, in print, I was working in magazines, so women's magazines for a long time. So the likes of, of Cosmo and um, BBC magazines, and then some of the consumer weekly magazines like Closer and Heat and um, and the like. Then I moved into some newspapers, so the broadsheet newspapers. And then quickly into... Um, uh, radio and and so basically what had happened was um I could just see that the more time I spent in that sector the more I realized that it was an elite business especially uh newspapers so gone were the days it felt where um people were just curious joined a local newspaper and got in that way it felt like everyone was having to take part in these expensive postgraduate courses, um, which created a barrier for people from low income and low socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, it, the competition was extremely high, still is. But of course, if you can't afford to do loads of free work experience, you're just totally knocked out of that pool because in order to get in, that's how you do it. Um, also, when it comes to writing, the bar is set quite high in terms of grammar, 
punctuation uh, and writing style and things like that. And so what we were finding was that people that went to sort of the grammar schools and places like that were just happening to be much stronger writers also. So then there was just so many different disadvantages at play for people. And that's not specific. That's not to say they were the only disadvantages or that those disadvantages apply to everyone. But there were certainly things that were coming up when I spoke to businesses about some of the things I wanted them to engage with me on. Mm, okay. Um, so, so, yeah. Okay. So um, it'd be good to extract some of the things that you learned. Obviously, this is a leadership for startups and our audience. What they're trying to figure out is how things that they can learn in their own startup or um, that they can leverage so were there any key lessons as well as skills? So there's sort of two questions here. Any key lessons that um, you learned out of your first venture, especially with Shine Media? Yeah, I think, um, I think yeah, there's so many lessons in there. I think with the first one, it was creating a model um, that people will pay for. Uh, and that sounds silly because you think, well, it's a business. Of course, you want to create a model that people will pay for. But actually, it's not as it's not as um, silly as you or yeah, as you might think. Because when it comes to sort of diversity and inclusion, it's seen as a nice to have back then. Anyway, it wasn't necessarily seen as a business imperative. And even now, we're, we've still got that challenge um, in businesses where. They're all un- they all understand the value of it, but it's not necessarily seen as something that is a priority for a business. So it's about making sure that you create a product within that area that people will consistently pay for. Um, so I'd say thinking about it uh, a bit more broadly and going, so this is a problem that we know businesses face they have the will perhaps and the wants to do something about it they're under resourced and they don't have the and they don't have large budgets to spend on this um so what could i what product could i create in that space that they would be able to spend because they'd see spend on they'd see a return of investment and they would continue to sustain that and i think that is the key thing mm, okay and, to and think about in that space yeah Um, And then I think testing it. So once you've found that product, going out and making sure that people will pay for it, the way to do that is just to start selling it um, and sounding it out with people who would be the decision makers in those industry, in those businesses, and getting them to give you feedback on what in that packaging would potentially make it not not a sale. Um, And I think if if you can do that, um, very early on and you're in one position and you, and you know you're working somewhere you can really or even if you've just you know if you're working somewhere and you're thinking about moving into another sector that's a good activity but if you're kind of literally at that point or you're at the start of your career and you're at your first thing that you want to do is to start a business then I think that's really key um, and then uh, one thing that uh, I learned a bit later on was making sort of putting your profit first <laughs> because sometimes sometimes you do enough just to sort of cover what it will cost and actually I think you should be thinking about that profit and, and putting that in from the um, outset so that you're constantly building a reserve if you like because the biggest challenge in year one of any business is its cash flow and I don't think I don't think until you experience that journey as a startup you fully appreciate how much cash flow is king um so i would say those two things are really important it's finding a product that will sell whatever the weather in the sector that you're trying to uh service and then finding a price point um or or a pricing package or method that will also weather um changes in that industry and if you can if you can find that from the beginning you start to test that from the beginning you just protect yourself later for industry changes i think yeah 
And um, so based on that, then, would you, uh, are you able to isolate specific skills that you think an entrepreneur needs as they grow their business, especially in the early stages? Would you be able to isolate certain skills and maybe character qualities that's necessary? Yeah, I would say... um... Resilience is hard. Um, So you need a lot of resilience. You need... um, You need to accept that... You need to have... Yeah, resilience and a a positive attitude towards learning. Um, What I mean by that is I'm using the word learning rather than what people kind of describe as failure. And the reason I say that is because things don't go to plan you may think your idea is brilliant and others just don't and if you're and if you're behind it or they do and they and and they just cut they're just not in the right place to to pay for it or buy it and i think that if you are a if it's your own business if you create it from scratch it's difficult to not take that personally um and, and so you need to be resilient and you need to come up with uh arm yourself i think your mental health with things that allow you to um be able to weather some of the kind of uh internal conversations that you'll have with yourself and that will be around have i you know things like um have i got the right business like am i the right person to lead it and these are questions that you you get all the time who what skills are missing um and who should I engage with? And engaging with other people, does that mean that I've failed because I haven't been able to do it myself? Like, these are, you, you think these are things that, um, well, clearly, if you want a business and you want it to do well, all the books say, you know, you need people with different strengths and things like yeah. that. But mm-hmm. finding good people is one of the hardest things to do in starting your business. Um, it's all very well when it's you, but finding people that you can trust to scale it with that are just as passionate when it's not their baby it's yours it's probably one of the hardest things to do um and the most uh time consuming and one that requires like when you find them it's excellent but it takes patience um so i'd say you do need a lot of resilience and and there's some of the reasons uh why um i think you need to be able to create opportunities and a can-do attitude it can't all be doom and gloom. It can't all be, um, and when I say that, it means I mean that when you do get a setback, that the a leader needs to be able to go, okay, now what? How do we fix this? Uh, it can't be, it can't be the mindset of oh, you know, this is just isn't fair, and I'm doing everything right, and 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 I keep repeating what I'm saying by saying you know it sounds obvious, but until you're actually on that journey, you won't realise how much of this you need because every day that you're building something, um, you're taking a risk. Um, you are trying to take something to another level. You're thinking about um, how to get there. And depending on how ambitious you are with your business, um, you really, really need... Um, uh, a thick skin. <laughs> yeah. A very, a very thick skin. Mm. And um, I mean, so when you, when obviously you're talking through experience. So what, what kind of support did you have or would, would you have liked to have in some of these journeys, some of these uh, phases that you've gone through? I think, um, so I've had mentors and coaches and they've been excellent um, at helping me books I've read have been literally like genius for me they've taught me so much they've been so so helpful for me um uh, and I'd say that that's important books like um the chimp paradox books like what got me what got you there here sorry won't get you there um yeah, all these kind of mindset books and the 
luxury strategy and profit first and blue ocean strategy all of those books have really really helped me to um be honest about what it is i'm trying to achieve um oh and simon sinek start with why uh that's been brilliant and his other book leaders eat last so all of those books have really really helped me um I think mentors that are honest with you is really important too. So, you know, saying to them, this is what's going on at the moment. I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's going that well. Um, here are my areas. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. And having someone to say, um, okay, fair enough. Well, this is, this is why we think it's going that way. Um, these are some of the things that you need to be honest about and change in your business. And these are some of the uh, areas in which you need to get development for yourself. And that's really important. Having somebody who is happy to say, Joanna, you're brilliant at these things, but you need help with these. And, you know, being able to say, if you don't get a hold on this, the business won't grow in the way that you need it to. Uh, and, 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 um, and just advice from experienced people, like that's super important. Um, and I don't think people, un I think people sometimes underestimate how um, important having those voices in your ear mm. is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that's been talked about a lot more now, especially yeah. coach, coaching, mentoring um having somebody to, like a sounding board that can help you to bounce your ideas give you a different perspective um because i'm sure because sometimes when you're so close to the business you might not be able to see things clearly isn't it yeah absolutely also being honest about um like Going along to talks, hearing how other people are doing things is another good, a good way of learning from those that are in experienced positions. And going along, like getting involved in seminars, like Goldman Sachs have um, a program that you can join where, um, like you have, a, has a program that you can join where you literally would sign up for different courses um, and they take you through everything from sales to um to scaling it's just a kind of a, a business growth uh seminar it's all online you can you can log in online at home and take part in it yourself and it gives you activities and those activities really help you to um to start thinking about certain elements of the business through these various modules and it's good because as a community uh, of, of of professionals who are starting businesses or further along their business journey and you're all kind of learning individually but you can connect with each other and things like that and school for startups and things they're all really useful because um for example I've still I started going along to things like that probably when I was about 20 21 and um I'm thir 32 now so for a long time and you you get to build a network of entrepreneur, entrepreneurs around you and you watch their businesses grow and you can learn from each other and you can help each other so now I've got friends who have gone on from strength to strength I've had businesses friends that have run businesses that they've closed and started other ones because they weren't the right ones to run for them and so it, it you just don't feel quite so isolated in the journey that's right yeah and it is um, a tough one mm. um especially when you're not just responsible for your own income but also yeah. the income of others that's right. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Um, but then when you think about some of your successes, so what have been some of uh, what you would consider to be some great breakthroughs for yourself? Uh, yeah, so for a long time, um, because we, we're executive search and advisory, for a long time, our consultancy piece um, was just kind of, um, it was businesses taking up that consultancy when they needed it now with anything like consultancy um you can it can completely depend on when people need that activity so they might say yes today 
uh, something else happens within the business uh, and it means actually we will take that consultancy a bit later on. So unless it's a absolutely urgent need to deal with a current business challenge that is impacting on the bottom line today, um, consultancy can, can often be seen as a, again, a nice to have. Yeah. And so a breakthrough for us was trying to get to a point where we were on retainers with businesses who sort of embedded us into their business culture and their business delivery um, so that one, we had a steady cash flow, but two, so that we could actually see traction and, and track our, uh, our impact and they could track the return on their investment. Now, without um, the retainers, it doesn't steady. It doesn't steady the business. Yeah, the cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was a breakthrough for us. Finding a way to make sure that um, every month mm. the business made money. Yeah. yeah. It's um, predictable. Yeah, and that it wasn't a case of some months you're making loads, and because you're making loads of money, it's stretching across for the next couple of months, and then in the other months there's nothing coming in. So even if you were able to uh, cover the cost for a period of time just when it comes to writing your cash flow I, I mean actually producing the document that is your cash flow and projections it's really difficult to do that when you haven't got something retained when you haven't got signed terms that commit that money in coming in and I'd say um, that a breakthrough is fine so that's what I was going back to my point at the beginning it's finding a product in the area yeah, you're passionate about right. yeah. that people will buy repeatedly mm. that's it isn't it it's finding whether, the yeah, yeah. And, and and i and i always say whether the um the storms of an industry because as you've seen with brexit that's impacted the way people have done business politics does that um to an organization there ultimately for i'll give you a, a live example we were doing huge amount of work with a big retailer and it was a, a six-figure deal um and then they had a huge loss in sales and their own profit and then that six-figure deal had to be postponed because the work that they were doing with us had put and and in in terms of in the area of recruitment people and culture had been the area that had to freeze financially so the business wasn't feeding that area money until it had seen growth in other areas, which then meant that for us, that piece of work no longer existed. So, and that came about because in, their, in that sector, within the retail sector, there were some activities that impacted on the way that, on their revenue. So that's what I mean by it. Yeah. That it doesn't. It, it it can be politics. It can be uh, a sector-specific challenge, um, and those are the things that will make it uh, difficult for a business owner and a, and a startup. And and I'm talking about these things um, in the startup uh, from a startup perspective because they tend to be the things that fold businesses um, and see businesses going into administration. It's over mod over optimistic um thinking from leaders without the practical um and sensible backup of a cash flow and clever accountant that's being really honest with you about how realistic your optimism is <laughs> um <laughs> wow yeah. yeah and yeah yeah i know you, you've hit the nail there that um i mean the startup phase is what's uh, described as uh um, finding your business model that's what the startup phase is you're trying to create you're trying to find out who your customers are and how you can consistently find your customers and then grow your customer and then keep your customers that's the whole startup phase um yeah and until you because that's the only way you can get traction and then you can start to um you know build on that so, um, but there are some key skills like what you just talked about, negotiation skills, sales skills. So out of those kind of skills, 
Was there any <clears throat> that you found challenging that you needed to learn those specific skills? Yeah, um, I think just per- like personally, my nature and my approach to uh, what I was doing was has always been um, purpose driven and, and, and passion driven. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, to begin with, when I first set up the Shy Media, I found it even difficult to charge at all because <laughs> um, I loved what I was doing. I was just trying to help. Um, and then I had to, I had to come to terms with actually, it's okay to have a business with a a values based business or a purpose driven business, um, and charge for that. That that doesn't mean that it takes away from your integrity in doing the right thing. If that makes sense. So that was the first yeah. lesson. I think uh, the second one was then um, learning what what to give away for free that wasn't going to close um the opportunity to actually do further work with that person so to try and make sense of that for example if being someone that's very passionate about this area of um, inclusion and equity for everybody uh you could be called multiple times a day for advice on this for companies small and large that are trying to also find a way to to navigate that space um now if you really care your the chances are you'll just go straight into giving advice without realizing that that's your service that's your expertise and so if you give too much away in the beginning there's no need for them to continue to use you in fact uh one of my um business partners in the past said to me he used to call it the brain drain where they would bring you in for a meeting mm-hmm. and drain your brain of all its ideas <laughs> and not have say to thank pay you very much and then say thank you and use it <laughs> and so yeah so I think a lesson was in remembering that my knowledge in my head is my currency my ideas were my currency that they 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 had to have a price um and they had to be valued because they were valued by that person they just weren't wanting to pay for it and I had to take have the confidence say no 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 you will pay for that it will be a cost to you that value um and 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 then to get to a point where you're confident enough to say no to things that just don't serve that so sometimes through wanting to work with a particular brand because you're either passionate about that brand or you followed that brand for a long time you might start giving away some things that for any or in in any other circumstance you wouldn't do and it's about saying and and people might go um well should we 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 don't have a budget of this much we do have a budget of this um and it's about being having the confidence to say no to that um and say okay great but come back to us when you have the budget that meets our our costings um or or saying having the confidence to say well in which case we can only offer you a and b rather than a b c and d um for that amount and and all of that is is learning um on the job and there's a saying in sales which is always be closing and i think there is an art to closing and um some ways to get around that are who is the decision maker who do they need to look good to because in, in short within an inter- within um, for employees they are depending on what kind of structure they're in but they are measured on their delivery they are incentivized on their delivery so uh you know bonuses and things like that so it's wonder it's finding out who is the decision maker to that's able to give you the money that you would require to run the service that you'd like um who though do they need to impress what will impress what will impressing that person look like for them so not only speaking to that piece when you sell but also delivering to that when you then when you then go about the actual activity um and looking at what could become a challenge 
for you closing that person, predicting it beforehand and putting a sort of contingency in place um, so that when you do have those conversations, you've organised it. Mm. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's good. That's uh, that's really good. And it is, you're right in terms of um, um, the whole process that you have to think through. Um, are you speaking to the right person, etc.? And also what you mentioned about valuing your service. Um, you know, we are, most of us are knowledge workers and we're not necessarily all creating apps and, and, and things like that. So it is turning that um, intellectual property, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Into a value proposition that is exchanged you know for currency so mm-hmm. that does take some 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 my is a mindset shift that to understand that that's what we offer and we see every day um you know some consultants would not um, pick up a pen or do anything until you've you know declared what um you know, what their value is some people just fall, yeah and until you've signed uh, yeah. the terms mm-hmm. unless there's a signed terms in yeah. my in my inbox i won't do any activity um and also you you'll you'll know this as well Twitter. like um a lot of people it doesn't matter whether you're selling light bulbs pens or people in terms of sort of talent or culture uh, change or, or concepts it doesn't matter um a lot a lot of people will say yeah yeah i'd love to do that well, you know, when can we start? And quite literally the very next day, unfortunately, something, you know, something's changed. And so you, you, have, you have to be able to, to expect it, be fine with it, not take it personally and do all you can to manage that. So terms get signed before we have a conversation for example, any sort of advisory conversation. Perhaps that's a suggestion. I'm not saying that that's what I do, but just perhaps that's a way of doing it. But it's just constantly thinking about how can I put these things in place to prevent me having repeat scenarios in this way? Yes. So obviously you have started um, Blue Moon. Mm -hmm. um, And um, so what are some of your aspirations as well as some of the challenges that you're facing as you're growing this new business? So um, it's one of the things that I like is, is one of our strap lines is, well, so it's Blue Moon and, and we say create Blue Moon. It's not as rare as you think. And then we say we change places, not people. So the point is that I want what I've always wanted um, is for businesses, uh, organisations, however you want to kind of um, term them, to provide everybody with what it is that they need to be successful. And we don't start from that place at the moment. Now, there are lots of um, things that my business can't solve. You know, it can't solve all of the world's problems, but it can help businesses to be responsible um, and ethical in their contribution to some of those challenges. Um, So, you know, when we think about underrepresented groups, all of those areas have complex societal challenges. You know, the education system they go through, the parenting they receive, um, the network they have access to, like the list goes on and on and on, right? Um, so, you know, there'd, there'd have to be huge societal, societal um, structural changes in order for me to level out all of those things, which, which I can't do alone, you know. Governments for years haven't been able to do that. Yeah. Um, but what we can do is we can get businesses to think about the role they play in that. And so that's why I say we change places, because I think... When we talk about talent, we say diverse talent. Um, and that just literally diverse just means different. So 
when we say diverse talent, businesses still go, you know, we have a talent team and then we've got someone who's coming to specifically work on diverse talent. And I always say, and I've been criticised for it and I'll take it, but I always say it's just talent. Like, we shouldn't be... um, Talent is talent. Toye has talent because Toye has his talent. Toye is not um, uh, a need, shouldn't be treated as a, a totally different type of talent because of the color of his skin, his age, his sexual orientation, his faith. You know, and for so long, the majority have been, you know, if we look at the report um, Elitist Britain. That was that came out by the Social Mobility Commission. Um, it says, you know, all of the leaders in our country were literally still in the percentages of like late eighties to ninety percent are grammar school or privately educated, Eton grad, Eton kind of uh, graduates through to the Oxbridge or Ivy League. Then they go into the either the mayoral um, uh, mayoral roles within the city um, they joined the biggest law firms they joined the biggest banks they joined politics they joined so essentially that majority um, run, ends up running the country um, now because of because that is the majority it's really complex what I guess I'm trying to land here but um, because that is the majority we see anybody else as diverse talent, as like, um, as, as different talent. And they are in that they're not the white uh, elite male. And I'm, I'm saying elite rather than middle class, because you and I would probably be middle class. And so, and so would a, a white working class kid who's now, you know, achieved something that's taken him into this bracket of middle class, right? So I'm talking about the elite. And, and I guess where I get slightly um, frustrated is what I'm asking businesses to do is that if they provide equity, so if they look at their procedures, their processes in hiring, in attracting, in recruiting, in promoting and developing talent, they don't need to call it diverse. It, should, it would be inclusive. So, for example, if I had a disability, I should still... I should be able to start um, the race as much as possible or if I'm an ethnic minority or if I'm a woman or if I am of different sexual orientation I should if the, if the business has equipped the recruitment process and the attraction process mm. with the right tools and, pro- and processes mm. we should all have what it, we need to successfully compete and apply for those jobs so then talent is what is awarded Hmm. Yeah. Now, <laughs> do, do, do you know where I'm? What, I know. Where I, I know. I know where you're know going. To, yeah, I think. I, I, well, I think I do. Yeah. Um, it, at the moment, we have processes that favour a particular group of people, and then, and then, rather than admit that, we say we need to find diverse talent, which really just means those those that are lit, the protected by the Equality Act 2010. And that fall under those nine protected characteristics. And I think the biggest, bigger problem is we need to know, we need to make our processes inclusive. And then we would attract talent. And that talent would organically (laughs) come from diverse places. At the moment, you make it easier for particular groups to get through the process. So I think the bigger challenge to businesses is to change the places and not the people. You know, there's nothing wrong with the dis- with that disabled person or that black man or woman or Asian man or woman. They're all there with the talent. They've got that. What they're not able to access is your processes because they do not, they're not accessible to all. They don't give everybody what they need in order to be successful. Now, for example, to break that down, if I, I am um, that person who has you know, graduate, graduated out of Eton, gone on to Oxford or Cambridge, um, come from a long line of family members who have done the same. So we have cultural capital as, mu- as um, 
as well as wealth, then um, I'm going to sometimes through my own fault, perhaps not always through my own fault, I'm going to think that the best talent comes from those places. Yes, that does happen. So I'm going to hire mm. in that image. Mm. Because that's the only, that's all I know. That's all you good. know, yeah. That's, the, that's what I've defined as good in my mind. Mm. So if I then join a business that says, okay, that's fine if that's what you've been exposed to. But for us, the way we do things in this place mm. is that talent for us is everywhere in all communities and in all groups. Mm. So we have created an, a, a talent tra attraction strategy, a recruitment strategy, a promotion and development strategy that, that, that speaks to, that speaks types. to, yeah, that speaks to that. Mm. So you're going to have to do something about the bias that mm. you might hold because it doesn't fit with our, with our strategies. Mm. And that's what I mean by we change places because yeah because we're not there you know there's nothing wrong with that person's um experiences they're mm. a value of course they are mm. but it shouldn't mean that because that's a value it it um we can no longer have uh talent in, in any other areas you know mm. we've got to completely dismiss that we we yeah. can't do that and and, okay. and, in, and in this piece around equality it's not taking equality from one person and giving it to another it's trying mm. to level it all yeah. so that everybody feels that they have what they need to mm. be successful in those processes and if they don't get the role they just weren't right for that role yeah, yeah. and that can be the argument but at the mm. moment there is so much opportunity for people to say is it that I wasn't right for the role or is it that you don't get me mm. or is it that I wouldn't fit in with the culture the, here the culture yeah the culture this place has mm. created if, if you like well i mean that's that's the one area that i was a i um a few months ago i ran a networking event with some colleagues and um in in doing that there was an activity where i got members of the audience to simply just talk about having conversations with strangers um and also having conversations with people around them and then i remember somebody actually just sharing about how uh, even in her own workplace uh, she she mentioned that she found it uncomfortable speaking to senior management and it came out that that was because they were predominantly of a certain type which yeah. were you know and so she didn't feel like there was this there was this bridge between this whole the, the her sort of kind of working environment and this group's working environment. So, the, and so this is something that I've, I've I've seen not you know in some situations anyway where um, what they would then say if, even if you go out and hire these people that they might say they don't feel comfortable because there's not enough of them in the organization that makes them feel welcomed. If that if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. And yeah, and and that doesn't that just doesn't surprise me. Mm -hmm. Um at all, to be mm -hmm. completely honest. Um and one of the things as well is like the reason I I I I like that that person had the confidence to say that is because um no one sometimes it's a huge elephant in the room and mm -hmm. no one um no one says up. anything. Yeah. Mm. So, um, for example, um, one of my consultants who focuses on disability always says, you know, saying that you, you're an equal opportunities employer and saying, you know, all of our jobs are on our website. So if you wanted to work here, you go to our website and you apply fair and square and successful applications get through. Um, and we wouldn't know anything about you apart from what you've said in this application form. Well, like, if your website's not accessible, like, and I can't use a mouse, how have you made it equal for me to apply? If, if you use algorithms that are uh, to, to collect buzzwords or keywords, from applications to sieve out the good 
from the not so good. But um, those algorithms and those kind of keywords are based on a vocabulary that certain people just don't use. How have you provided me with what I need? And an example of that is um, I've been hired by a broadcaster for years and years and years and paid by them. And I have never successfully got through their application process. <laughs> but I've worked okay, with them over ten. Work with them. Okay. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So sometimes these things are that they they the will is there and they attempt to be equal. But unless you are in the shoes of somebody trying to get through that process, and you are and you you are them, you're not going to understand what their barriers are so so the reason i always say that it never even gets raised is it doesn't get raised because it's just not in your mind you, because you're only thinking from your own experiences so and, and what we need to do more of when it comes to this agenda is look beyond our own so when i started shine i thought about it from a class perspective because being a mixed heritage um having a uh a black father a white mother from totally like my dad from Ghana from West Africa from completely different places my mum from Windsor in England like that was that um and nobody like I feel like the two most important people in my life didn't look like me so I didn't come I wasn't um I wasn't socialized to to need that in order to empathize to relate to love to to care I didn't I, that, that wasn't required as a baby, the two people that look after me do not look like me, right? So that's not what I was taught. But the, so when I went into the workplace, it wasn't always the thing that I thought about straight away. Uh, you know, the 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 the, the ethnicity, uh, um, the representation of an ethnic minority, and and seeing that. But where I could see the a huge disadvantage was where if you did not know the right people. If you grew up in a council estate like the one I grew up in and you went to the school that was local to that council estate and your parents worked their socks off and tried their best, you know, to do everything to get you through your education. But they don't know, uh, especially if you're like my dad came over to the UK in 74. So all of his qualifications from Ghana all of a sudden meant nothing here. Um, they do. And like many of that generation, they do the jobs that they need to do to, to keep the, the family fed and homed um and housed and then they later they go back and they try and study once they've steadied the the home right so for those people they're not they're not going into businesses and buildings where they're building up those connections that would that would um create this social mobility they're going into jobs where they're surrounded by other people like them who are doing similar jobs for similar reasons so you know when i talk about this like piece around uh social class it's because I'm, I'm talking about the access to information to network to cultural capital that you you just don't get so um when i first started i was thinking about it from that perspective you know who is being excluded from this from this industry because they just don't know the right people because we all we all we all get free education that's a benefit right so as long as we work hard at that we can get good grades and we can compete but if i don't write in the same way when i fill out the application form um, for my first get, job then yeah. I'm not going to get you're not going to see how great I am because mm. you've set up a system that works against the way I speak yeah or the words I use. do you see what I mean mm. so, so yeah that's, no. that's the point that I'm making with that and when I say we've got to turn on its head the way we think about diverse talent it's not a kind of Noah's Ark we've got two women we've got two black people we've got two Muslims so we're fine it's how do we keep um our organization in a place where we're giving everyone what they need and how do we do that? We have to ask those people what the barrier is. What do we not do at the moment that excludes them? Mm. Well, it's definitely, um, it's a huge topic. Um, but um, obviously, if we have uh, entrepreneurs, startups, that's a good place to start. So mm-hmm. um, you're obviously very passionate about this, <laughs> oh, <laughs> without sorry. a doubt. Like that's a all right. No, 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 no. Come on, go for it. You know, um, how can people get in touch with you to take this um, this thinking to a practical level? If people want to get yeah, in touch so with I'm you, I'm on I'm on all social media platforms as Joanna Abayi. So Twitter, LinkedIn, 
um, Facebook, Instagram, Instagram, all of those places. We also have a website called www.createbluemoon.co.uk um, and you can contact us there. Uh, we also have on the LinkedIn, we also have our brochure, which you can download and have a read of um, and ask any questions also. So, Okay, brilliant. So we'll definitely have all that information in the show notes as well. Um, so just as we um, uh, sort of begin to wrap up, uh, so what current challenges are you facing as you're sort of taking your business to that next level or beyond? Uh, what are the challenges I'm facing? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think it is... Um, it's a couple of things. So I'd say... Um, Right now, in this in this very moment, it is thinking about uh, what I also want personally, and marrying that with a startup business and what that takes. So the challenge at the moment for me is trying to find the right balance between um, uh, knowing if uh, I guess like deciding at what point I'll know that this business is going to do the it's going to last the test of time. Obviously, we've got three years. We've just got through our first year. Um, so I just want to, I'm trying to get it to three years so that I, uh, it's just, it's, it's like what you said at the top of the conversation, Toya, around you start a business, don't you? And then you want to, you want to check that you can grow it. Uh, you want to be confident that that is a realistic plan. Um, and so we've only just got through year one of Blue Moon. And so my next sort of, um, focus is making year two a steady one and putting profits at the forefront so that it gets us through to year three and then we've kind of hopefully we're on an an even footing uh and we've stabilized i think um it is it is finding um a focus so now that we've worked out in year one what will what sells what doesn't it's then it's then building on that focus. So now that we've worked that out, what additional things can we do to add value to that? Um, and that, that's another one. And I think it's also, uh, at the moment, we have a model where we've got lots of consultants. We have lots of um, third supplier relationships and partnerships. And the question is, do we continue in that way? And there's lots of businesses. There's another business um, that I admire and has done extremely well that are based on that model where they just have a host of consultants that specialise in this area. Um, and it's whether I go down that road or whether I think about turning um, this, this small team, so less than five with six sort of contractors, into a permanent team of 10 or 15 people uh, and that's that's the kind of crossroads I'm at at the moment and just on another note something I just wanted to add actually is um what I'm finding now is that um there are lots of young entrepreneurs um who are winning lots of awards for various things and now these awards are Business-related awards, they are, in some cases, Queen's Honours. They are, and it, do you know what it does? It is brilliant. It's good profiling. But there is something to be very mindful of, and that is that with, with those awards and accomplishments, you are propelled into a space, sometimes, um, of where the only way is up okay but sometimes and, and when you say the only way is up is 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 that in terms of the pressure yeah okay to keep to keep, <laughs> to keep yeah. at that level of accomplishment and achievement year on year on year and what that can do in a startup world is it's 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 brilliant because it motivates you, it keeps you giving, striving for the next thing. But 
certainly in my journey and some of the journeys of my peers, it can also add an unhealthy pressure. Um, and what I just wanted to say on that was that business is up and down. It always is. And if you read the book Profit First, even some of the most respected, reputable, long-standing businesses are two mm. months away from failure <laughs> mm. based on their cash flow. Cash flow, yeah. <laughs> so That's why they say cash is king, isn't it? Cash is king. So it is important that you you have a healthy attitude to business and that you win some and you lose some. And sometimes saying that when your livelihood depends on it, when other people's, you know, like for me, I've got to make sure that people are paid on time every month. Other people's livelihood depends on it. Um, and in depending on the size of your business, lots of money can be involved in that and relationships. And so you've just got to take some of that, though, with a pinch of salt, because when you're working so independently, um, your mind can play a lot of tricks on you which is why I think it's important to build a little community around you of people that are doing similar things, because otherwise it can feel as if you're the only one going through it. Uh, you take it personally as, it, as if it's your own failure rather than some lessons you just need to learn and that everyone learns on that business journey. And the more you start going, you know, it's been a tricky year. Everyone goes, oh my goodness, yeah, tell me about it. Or they'll go, I remember that was our first year. And you know what we did? We did this. And then we started to see some changes. Um, do, do you know what I mean? And like the more you're honest about the, the realistic experience, which is why when I do any interviews like this, I try to be so honest about it because you, there's lots of there's social media out there going like, you know, oh, we're great. You know, like I'm an entrepreneur. I've won this award. I've won that award. I sit on this board. I sit on that board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's amazing. And you have no idea like what it's actually taking. Do you know what I mean? To, to keep that business going. And so I just want I just want to put that out there that 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 your health has to come first in this and that you can put an unhealthy amount of pressure on yourself when you're constantly getting awards or applauded for things. Because then when you get to a moment in like I'm 32 now, I've been on my entrepreneurial journey since I was 18. So you get to 32 and you kind of go, Well, what do I want to do? What am I happy doing this still? Am I being fulfilled by this? Um, you know, is the business, is this the right time in my life to be scaling the business? Like if I want to do lots of other things as well, personally and in my life. And then I think when you start to do that, you need to have the space to be honest with yourself. But if you've bought into the pressure that other people have placed on you because you've shared loads on your social media, your LinkedIn's full of all your accolades and, uh, accolades and accomplishments, you're, it's un healthy amount of pressure and when I first started my business there wasn't even Facebook <laughs> about coming it was just mm. I think it was just starting so no That's one really true, knew it really. so it was I had a completely different attitude do you know what I mean to mm. I was just getting on I didn't, it didn't even like everyone just got on you didn't it didn't need to go anywhere or like mm. in terms of a platform you just needed mm. to do your job like there was nowhere to put it it was kind of like good old-fashioned newsletters mm. um it wasn't this constant by the minute sort of update yeah. that you, and then you look at other businesses and, and and you're comparing yourself well they're doing this should i be doing this should i be thinking about that and then so just just want to i guess a, a key message in that is um i really want everyone who wants to start out on their journey to be as successful as possible and the only way to do that irrespective of all the clever ways and people that you get around you um, to help you to build that business, you need to look after your well-being mm. and manage the yeah. pressure and expectations that you that you have on yourself, and that needs to be a priority every day, mm. on top yes. of your business goals. Yes, no, brilliant. No, thank you, thank you so much, uh, Joe. Um, yeah, I mean that's been some fantastic sound advice. I think we're gonna have to wrap it up here but yeah. we can go on forever yeah um <laughs> but again as i mentioned that you can contact joe at um you'll be, the details will be on the show notes but in particular createbluemoon.com uh the website uh where you can find out more information um especially in this area of inclusion in, 
inclusivity, inclusion, diversity. Um, as you can hear, she's very passionate about it, and rightly so. And I and I do believe that there's a lot of talent out there um, that can help support your business. Uh, it's just an issue of knowing where to find them and how to find them. And definitely Joe can support you on that. Uh, Joe, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experience with us, being very honest, being very real. And I really like the fact that you're right. You know, this is tough. Um, resilience is needed. All ideas don't just, um, it's not Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, no, you know, building a business takes uh, a lot of tenacity, a lot of resilience, a lot of um, trial and testing. And the, there was a particular choice of word you used, which I appreciated. You said that it's not failure, it's learning. And, um, you know, uh, John Maxwell calls it failing forward. So yeah. that you're, you know, you're, 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 you're picking up new uh, ways of doing it, even though it might not be working out initially. So um, I want to thank you so much for no, sharing you. all this me. with us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. And yes. And so um, listeners, thanks for joining us. Uh, as I mentioned, you can find Joe's details on um, the show notes as well as createbluemoon.com and any other resources that's been mentioned as well. But for now, to your success and speak to you soon. Thank you.